0: Um, who is known for his great wisdom is a little green guy named Yoda, which you may know of. And the reason I thought of him was if you're Star Wars fan, you know today is May 4th, and so you get to say, may the 4th be with you. It's kind of fun to say. Um, And so it's kind of been something that has been catching on the last few years that people get a kick out of. but at our house, we love Star Wars, and my boys have lightsabers, and we just are really into that. And so um, so Yoda is a character that we're familiar with. And if you know that Star Wars world, you know that, that he's the one that everyone goes to for wisdom. That he has all the, you know, he knows all the mysteries of the world. He teaches his young Jedis all these things. And um, a couple little things he's known for saying. One is, uh, try not, do or do not. There is no try my husband's here he could do the voice for you but i can't i can't do it um, and then i thought this is funny when 900 years old you reach look as good you will not <laughs> and so i don't i can't remember what part of the movie that was in but that was very true when you reach that age you're not going to look like you do now are you um, but no matter if it's in stories or real life um, a lot of us really do want wisdom we want to know what what to do in life you know in, in movies and characters you know there's always a problem in a story and the character has to figure out what to do and in our lives we have problems all the time and choices that we have to make and we just need wisdom we always are trying to figure out you know, what do I do as as we grow up in life you know when you, back when you're wanting to get married you're trying to figure out who do I marry what do I do who do I choose I want to make the best choice for a, a life partner um, you know when you have a baby there's so many choices you have to make with with your baby do I nurse or do I bottle feed do I do cloth diapers or disposable and, and it just goes on from there and choosing your children's education and, um, and maybe for yourself you know what job do I want um, should I work shouldn't I work part-time full-time um, maybe your finances what should I spend my money on uh, maybe your health a lot of people have big health issues and you have to make some big choices with how you're going to manage your health, what treatments you're going to take. Um, There's just so many problems and so many choices in our lives that we just, we need wisdom and we want to know what's the best choice, what do we do. Um, And so we seek knowledge and wisdom because we want to know what to do. Um, And on your paper there, I kind of bolded um, a In the word knowledge, we have the word know, and in the word wisdom, you can see the word do. And that just kind of is a picture of of why we seek those things, because we want to know what to do. We want to have the knowledge and the information, but then we want to know, what do I do with that? How do I make the best choices in life? Um, And so that's that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, around your table, I don't know if um, anyone mentioned Solomon. He is considered the wisest man um, in the Bible when you're looking at biblical history. And so we're going to take a look at um, some things about Solomon to get us started. So if you can open up your Bibles to 1 Kings, back in the Old Testament. Um, You may or may not know much about Solomon. Um, You can go ahead and open up to chapters 3 and 4. We're going to kind of be in there. I'm not going to read everything. But um, Solomon... You probably know was David's son. King David was, um, you know, just kind of that that um, the the one king we always go back to as far as the king of the Israelites. And so Solomon was his son, and God had promised that Solomon would be the one to build the temple in Jerusalem. And so there was a big responsibility on Solomon's shoulders. He was going to um, do some great things that God had um, planned for him to do. And so uh, when he became king, he felt the burden of that. He felt the weight of responsibility as king. And um, if you know the story in chapter 3 here, it, it shows that, that God appeared to Solomon in, in a dream or a vision and, and told Solomon, ask me for whatever you want, and I will give it to you. What do you need to be king? And Solomon basically asks for wisdom. He wants to know, what do I do? How do I rule these people? How do I make the best choices? How do I know right from wrong and so he asks for wisdom and God is pleased with that and so God not only gives him wisdom but he also gives him riches and honor and um, Solomon in it is just this major you know, king in, in history here uh, if you actually go over to chapter 4 I'm going to read this little section that describes his wisdom and just how vast it was um, chapter 4 starting in verse 29 so says, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the east and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than any other man, including Ethan the Ezrahite, um, wiser than, looks like He-Man from the 80s, remember He-Man, um, Calcol and Darda and the sons of male, And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. He described plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of walls. He also taught about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. Men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. And so that was what he was famous for. He had all this knowledge, all this wisdom. He just knew about everything. Um, And then one other little thing I want to read about him, just as an example of his wisdom, is back in chapter 3. This is um, just one example of him using his wisdom. This is a story that I remember learning as a kid. It was one of those that stuck with me because... When you first hear it, it's kind of like shocking and interesting. Um, So maybe you have heard it, maybe you haven't. um, But it's just an interesting story of how he used his wisdom. So um, chapter 3, starting at verse 16 here, I'm going to read. It says, Now two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. One of them said, My lord, this woman and I live in the same house. I had a baby while she was there with me. The third day after my child was born, this woman also had a baby. We were alone. There was no one in the house but the two of us. During the night, this woman's son died because she lay on him. So she got up in the middle of the night and took my son from my side while I, your servant, was asleep. She put him by her breast and put her dead son by my breast. The next morning, I got up to nurse my son, and he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't the son I had born. So that is her problem she's presenting here. The other woman said... No, the living one is my son. The dead one is yours. But the first one insisted, No, the dead one is yours. The living one is mine. And so they argued before the king. The king said, This one says my son is alive and your son is dead. While that one says, No, your son is dead and mine is alive. Then the king said, Bring me a sword. So they brought a sword for the king. He he then gave an order. Cut the living child in two and give half to one and half to the other. The woman whose son was alive was filled with compassion for her son and said to the king, Please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. But the other said, Neither I nor you shall have him. Cut him in two. Then the king gave his ruling. Give the living baby to the first woman. Do not kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. So that, it's just an interesting way that he he really got to the heart of the issue, the heart of the mothers. Um, the one who cared more about the baby was obviously the baby's mother. Um, it makes me think of if you have kids at home, all the little fights like between toys, like this one's mine, this is mine, and all the wisdom you have to on a daily basis having to um, to um, you know solve problems in your own home sometimes. Um, but we we all have problems, and and I think we all wish we could have those, that wisdom, like just in that moment to immediately know what to do to solve the problem. And so um, around your tables, I want you to use some time. I'm going to give you a little extra time with this question and talk about what areas of your life do you wish you had more wisdom? Do you need wisdom? And kind of use this as a time to share too, like what's going on in your lives and just where you're at and what things are on your mind and, and what you need wisdom for. Um, and I'm I'm hoping by the time we're done here that that you'll just be a little more encouraged um, as you face um, those different things that are on your mind and in your life, <coughs> and um, that we can really seek God's wisdom for those things. So use this time as sharing. Uh, make sure everybody gets a chance to talk, and I'll just I'll give you some extra time with this one. Um, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts, and so just think about how high above us God really is, his mind, what he understands, and so on your paper there I drew um, just you know a little visual there, just the mind of God is so far up here so high as high as the heavens are above the earth and here's our little mind down here and sometimes you know we we think we're a little farther up but we're not that he holds all the wisdom Uh, and it makes me think you know as i see like rachel and her baby and molly and her baby you know just think of the the gap of knowledge just between a mom and her baby like, that gap, that's huge. When you think of all the moms know that their babies don't know and will have to learn, that gap between God and us is like a million times greater. And so he has all this wisdom, and so he's the one that we're to go to uh, when, we, when we need wisdom. So that's, um, that's why we're talking about that today. And whether we like it or not, God... God is the standard. We might not agree with that. We might not believe it. We might not like it. But that is the truth. um, In um, Psalms here, it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. There is no standard. I am the standard. The fool says, I am the standard of wisdom. Um, In my Bible, maybe in yours, in that Psalm, it it has a little note that says, the fool is someone who is morally deficient. Like, they just want to set the standard. They think they know what's best. They want to do what they want to do. And so they set the standard, and they just kind of ignore the fact that God is here. But just because they ignore it, just because people in our world say there is no God, it doesn't make him really go away. It would be like if my kids were standing here, and they said, there is no mom. We don't have a mom. Clearly, I know that I am their mom, and they can't. Just because they say that doesn't make me not their mom. I am their mom and I know that, even if they want to deny that. You know, if they said, um, you know, mom, you don't know anything. Well, they can say that, but I I still know more than they do. You know, we can say that about God. Oh, God, you don't know what's going on. You don't know, but he does. And and so no matter what we say about it, he still holds all the wisdom. And whether you believe it or not, whether you um, follow that or not, that's just how it is. That's the truth. And we're all going to find out for sure one day when we stand before him. Um, So why would someone say there is no God? Why would you say that in your heart? Even if you don't say it out loud, why would you say there is no God? There is no standard. I am the standard. Well, here's just some of my thoughts about it. Um, I have them on your paper there. (coughs) You might say that, again, because you want to be the standard. You don't want to follow God's rules. You don't want to read the Bible. You don't want to hear uh, God's truth. And so, so you want to be the standard of what is right and wrong, of what you want to do in life, what path you want to take. Um, and so, so that's why you might say that. Um, you might not want God telling you what to do. You just, you just want to do it. And so if you say there is a God, then that means you're accountable to the fact that he's in charge. And so that's maybe why you would say that. Um, maybe you don't trust God. Maybe you, um, you just feel like God hasn't been there for you. You don't trust him, and so you're just going to pretend that he's not there because, you know, you don't trust him. Um, or you just trust what you can't see. You know, obviously, if I have my kids here and meet, that they can see that I'm here. We can't necessarily see God in physical form, um, so we have to trust by faith So, that is a little harder. Um, It's a little different scenario there. But but that might be why we don't trust God or don't go to Him for wisdom because we can't see Him and it's hard to believe in what we can't see. So, those um, may be our reasons. Now, um, we're going to go back to Solomon here. Even though Solomon was the wisest man on earth, he's really an interesting character, and, and I don't really understand him because. In his wisdom, he was still very foolish. In his heart, he was a fool. Maybe not at first. I think at first he really did follow God and honor God. But there were some things where he set the standard in his life um, as far as um, how he lived. And in doing that, he became a fool. He was basically saying, I am the standard, not, not God. I have more wisdom in this area of my life than um, than God, because I want to do what I want to do. So, um, turn to First Kings eleven. Um, actually, invert. If you look, kind of look at chapter ten, just kind of glance over that before we get to eleven here. Um, if you notice, it says. There's a section where the Queen of Sheba comes to visit Solomon, you know, everyone has heard about Solomon's wisdom and she asks him all these questions and she's just amazed by him. And then it goes on to describe his wealth and riches and just how amazing he was. But then it gets to chapter 11 and there's there's this turning point and it says, "King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians and Hittites." They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. So God had set the standard. God knew better. He wasn't trying to, like, take away Solomon's fun, take away any kind of pleasure, but God knew, he knew better that that would turn Solomon's heart away. Just like as a parent, you know better. Like in my house, you know, just like most houses, we struggle with like screen time. How to limit screen time? And one thing, you know, before school, they can't watch TV or play in their Kindles or anything, because we know that they're going to get distracted and they're going to, you know, like we're going to be late. However, we're still late every day. This morning, my daughter was supposed to be getting dressed, and I find her in the corner reading a book, and we're late again. And so, like, but that's why we do that. That's why we say no to certain things, because we know better that, that we know what it's going to lead to. And we know that if, if you're turning toward that, it's going to lead to things that, that aren't good. And so God knew, okay, he made Solomon king, and he had a big job, and so he knew that if Solomon was if he married these foreign women who worshipped other gods, he knew that Solomon's heart was going to turn toward these other gods, and that he, you know, that, he wasn't going to be a good king anymore. But even though God set that standard, because he knew better, Solomon didn't listen to that. And this is where Solomon was a fool. It says, nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. They did. You know, we think it's bad people get after Donald Trump and his wife, you know, That's nothing compared to Solomon here. He had a thousand women that he was with. Um, As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed um, these other gods. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. And then uh, down in verse, well, then it shows, like, he's even offering sacrifices to these other gods. God is angry with him. He says, you know, I'm, I'm going to tear the kingdom away from you, but because I made a promise to your father, I'm not going to do it during your lifetime. But God knew that's why he gave him that standard. But Solomon, in that area of his life, was very foolish, and his heart turned away from God. And God, God knows our hearts, and he knows what will turn our hearts. They can get turned pretty easily. Um, and so around your tables... Talk about have you, how, or how have you ever turned from God in your heart or in your actions? Like where in your life have you kind of ignored God's wisdom and just kind of did your own thing and it led you even just slightly, just a turning of your heart um, away from God? Maybe you can share that a little bit. Through the rest of this today, we might not get through um, everything in my notes, but um, I'm not going to worry too much about it. Sometimes the conversations at our tables are really the more more important things. Sometimes, so I'm going to just keep giving you plenty of time, um, and we'll get through what we get through. Um, but one thing I do I do want to look at is the story of someone in the Bible who didn't turn away from God, um, and that man was Job. Um, you may or may not know about Job. Um, I know we all have different levels of biblical knowledge. Um, so I'm just going to kind of give a brief summary of, of who he was and kind of his story. But as I'm talking, you can open up your Bibles to the book of Job. Um, it's about in the middle of your Bible. Um, Job was a very righteous man. Uh, the Bible says he feared God and shunned evil. Um, he was also very wealthy. He had ten children. Um, he, he owned a lot of property, a lot of animals. He was just a very um, well-established man, but someone who feared the Lord and shunned evil. Now, um, in the beginning of the book of Job, um, it's interesting, there's, um, it recounts that Satan had this conversation with God about Job, that Satan um, came to God and he said, Job is only following you and fearing you because you bless him. Um, if if all that stuff was taken away, Job Job would curse you. You know he's only doing it because you're blessing him and you're putting this um, hedge of protection around him, and that's the only reason. And so um, God responds and says, "Well, fine. Test him. See. Let's see if that's the only reason that, that Job is um, fearing me." Now God God knew Job's heart. He knows our hearts, and so he God knew that Job wouldn't turn away, um, but he was going to give Satan the permission to um, do everything but kill Job, So um, and to prove to Satan, I guess, that, that Job was going to stick with God. And so, um, so that's what happened. If you read in the beginning there, Job lost everything. He lost his animals, he lost his servants, he lost his children, um, he lost property. He himself was afflicted with terrible illness and was in great pain, and all of these things happened kind of like all at once and just rocked his world. Everything that he had was now gone. And his wife told him to just curse God and die. She was kind of the fool in the story. She said, just, just you know, be done with God. If this is what he has done, allowed to happen to you, and this is what he's done, just curse God and die. It's not worth it. Um, but Job did not turn away. He said, no, you know, he said, you know, should we accept good from God, but not suffering? And, and he, even though he didn't understand it, he knew his mind was so small. He didn't understand what was going on. He was going to keep um, trusting God. Um, A big part of the book of Job is these conversations between Job and his friends. He had these friends um, these three friends that came, they came to sympathize with him and comfort him when they heard about his troubles. Um, and they did good for, it says, for about a week, about seven days, they sat around just quietly. They didn't even say anything. They were just there to show their support and show that they were there for him. But after seven days, I guess, you know, they couldn't hold it in any longer. They had to share their opinions about what they thought was going on. And in their minds, the thing that they came up with was that Job must have done something wrong, that he must have sinned. Otherwise, why would God be doing this? That it must be some kind of punishment. Now, as you read some of the things they, they um, say, they say, like, God is great, God is beyond understanding, God is wonderful and holy and majestic. They say, like, they acknowledge that God is all these things, but in their minds, they think the reason this is happening to Job is that Job sinned but Job knows he didn't sin. He, he knows that he's walking rightly before the Lord and that that's not what's happening. But none of them really know what's happening. We do. We get to read the beginning of the story and we know that it's something above them going on between Satan and God. It really has nothing to do with, with Job's sin at all. But, um, but his friends, in their mind, that's all they can come up with. Um, and so it's interesting just kind of reading their dialogue and then... Um, it gets to chapter 38. So if you're not there yet, go ahead and turn to Job chapter 38. I'm not going to read all of it, but just going to highlight some things. If you ever do get a chance, though, it is really neat to read like chapters 38 through 41 because God talks and God um, shares His wisdom, and it's kind of like if, you know if, if a kid, if my child, did come up to me and say, "You don't know anything." You know, you get that feeling like, excuse me? Um, Let me set you straight on that. Uh, I do know more than you. And so that's kind of what God is doing. He's saying, excuse me, uh, you guys need to listen because you have no idea what you're talking about. Um, And so God answers. It says, then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. So sarcasm comes from God, too, apparently. As you read this, he's like, oh, you think you know. Um, Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place, that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked to the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Um, and it keeps going, you know, have, do you know where light comes from? Do you know where snow and storms come from? Did you put the stars in the sky? Did you, do you feed the wild animals? Do you know when animals give birth? Um, do you, you know, all these things. Did you give them their, their power? He's just going through all this, just back to creation. You know, were you there? I, I don't remember you being there, Job, or your friends. I was there. I know. I created this world. I know every detail about it. And then Job, um, in yeah, chapter 40 here, Job says a little something. He says, um, in Job 40, verse 4 and 5, he says, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Um, he's, he's just realizing how small he really is. And then God continues to go through. He just can kind of skim over that. You know, Were you there when I did this? Do you, did you have the strength to do this? Um, and he talks about all these great and mighty things that he made. And then again, um, Job responds at the end. I'm going to read that in chapter 42. He says, um, I know you that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My eyes had heard of you, or sorry, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Um, And so, you know, God just sets him straight, um, and just shows, just shows, proves that, you know, I, I have so much more wisdom and understanding. I know what's going on. Um, you may not like it, you may not understand it, but I understand it as God, that's what God is saying, and um, I know what's really going on here. He doesn't, it's interesting, he doesn't tell Job, like, oh, this is what happened, I had a conversation with Satan, it'll be okay, and it's just a test. Like, he never really tells Job that. Job never knows. Um, but through it all, Job passes the test um, because Job never curses God. He never um, turns away from God. He, he struggles with it, understanding in his mind, but, um, but he's, he understands his place before God. And even um, back in, on your paper here I wrote it, back in Job 28, this is even before God responds to him, Job says, where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. Which is what he had been doing all along, in the very beginning. That's the first thing it says, that that Job feared God and he shunned evil. And so he, he consistently stuck with that, even when he didn't understand what was happening in his life or how to solve his problems, he didn't know what to do. He consistently still believed that God was the standard and God knew more than he did and he was going to um, bow to that um, and humble himself. And um, and so there's a couple other verses in um, Psalms and Proverbs says the same thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Um, so around your tables, talk about and think about this. In our day and age, do you think that people have that fear of God like Job did? Like especially when bad things happen, like for Job. Or you know, are we so quick to think we can put God in His place, or understand what's going on in our lives or somebody else's, um, or curse God? Or you know, do we? Do you think people have that fear of God? Um, and then, do you have that kind of fear of God that Job did? Um, and, and if you do, what does that look like in your life? If you don't, I guess, what does that look like in your life? Um, just get, get talking about those things. So, um, Isaiah 30, I'm going to start at verse 18. says, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. So just think on that. The Lord longs to be gracious. He could. He can punish us. He can do those things. But he longs to be gracious to us. He rises to show you compassion. makes me think of like a father. Like if his kids are in the other room being loud and crazy. and You know, a father's sitting down and you see him get up. And he he has the right to get up and yell at those kids and tell them to behave. But he gets up because he wants to go to them and say, okay, quiet down. You know, like he's a good father that he has the right um, to do those things. But in his heart, his character is compassion and love and grace. Um, And then verse 19, O people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you, like the cry of a baby responding just instantly. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, just like Job had, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. That's, that's his heart. He longs to be there helping you, giving you that wisdom. Then you will defile your idols overlaid with silver and your images covered with gold. You will throw them away like a menstrual cloth and say to them, away with you. Um, and so I think once we realize or experience God's grace in our lives, that we no longer want to be the standard. You know, a lot of, if we're kind of struggling against God, we want to be the standard, or we look around the world and we let the world be our standard, um, or, you know, we have, like, idols. You know, we may not have idols today, but we have our phones. And if we need wisdom, we Google something or we put something on Facebook and try to get uh, get our answers. And God is saying, no, just throw that to the side and come to me. And I think when we experience his grace, we will do that more, that we'll go to him and we won't rely on our own wisdom and our own standards or the world's or, you know, whatever else is out there that we'll realize that we'll just run to him and we'll... We'll seek his wisdom because we know that he knows everything and he loves us to the full. Um, and so there's a few more verses um, in Isaiah. Um, time. I won't read all those, but you can go back and read them yourself. But it's just God pouring out his love saying, I love you. I want to be with you. I want to help you. Um, I'm here for you, to strengthen you, to give you that wisdom you need. Um, and it, it also says um, on the notes here, there is no God apart from me a righteous God, and a Savior. So just think about that. He's righteous, like we talked about last week. He's just, but he's also our Savior. He's both at the same time. And again, we, it's hard to wrap our minds around that, but it's, it's who he is. Um, in the Lord alone, our righteousness and strength. So he can be wise, but he he's also loving and compassionate and merciful and gracious. Um, and he didn't just tell us those things. We have... You know, he said those things in his word, but in Christ, he demonstrated that to us. He came down to our level. He became a man to show us just how much he loves us. And, you know, Jesus was full of wisdom, and, but he was full of love. And we've, we've been talking about the Trinity. You know, God is if God was just God and he wasn't the Trinity, he was just God, it would be a whole different relationship. But he came down as man, as Christ. And that demonstrated his love for us. In Romans it says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, and then in John 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've been talking about that. He tabernacled with us. He came down to us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In our day, we, we can't understand that God is grace and truth. He's either this this horrible god or he's this god full of grace and lets everything go but no he's both he's both grace and truth um so around your tables do you believe that do you believe that god is all wise but also all loving and how can that understanding turn your heart more toward him so that you seek out his wisdom um, rather than your own or rather than turning to the world how can understanding both of those things together help you especially with the things that you're personally dealing with. Take some time with that. Alright, well we're running towards the end of our time here so I'm just going to briefly go over just some some of the rest of the thoughts I had towards this and then uh, we'll get you out of here. Um, But on the last page here, I put at the top if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, if that's where it starts to acknowledge that God is the standard, to acknowledge that, um, then the I think that the acceptance of Christ in our lives would be the next step. Um, and I want to read these verses in First John. It says, "If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him, and he in God, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us." God is love. That's that's another one of his attributes. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. Now here's kind of the connection. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So even though our relationship with God kind of starts with like a fear and a, just a, a distancing of ourselves, a, that humility to, to realize how big he is and how small we are. Um, we can't leave it at that because it's through Christ then that we get to draw near to God, um, to accept the fact that, that he wants to forgive our sins and to accept that salvation um, then we, know long, we've, we still respect him, but we don't have to fear him. We don't have to stand far away from him. We get to go near to him and ask him, Lord, help me, what do I do in this situation? I need your help. And so that love should be drawing us near to him so that we go to him for the help that we need. Um, and so, you know, when we face trials, when we have suffering, uh, we can draw near to him. I'm not going to read these verses in Hebrews, but again, it just talks about, um, like, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence uh, so that we can have, find mercy and help in our time of need, those kinds of verses that, that God, that's why he came and died for us, so that we could come to him and have that relationship with him. Um, and so, you know, we talk. God is the Trinity, so there's, there's Christ, that he did that for us to draw us near. And then we have the Spirit, and the Spirit gives us the wisdom we need to walk through life. Um, in Romans it says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And so God is for us. His Spirit is working in us. Um, he knows, even if we, our minds are so little, we don't know what to do. We don't understand that His Spirit is working in us, and He knows, and um, He wants to help us. Um, he knows how weak and small-minded we are. And so um, you can maybe you know look at that more this week, just the that, that whole Trinity, God the Father, God the Spirit. Son, God, the Spirit, and how all that works together as far as wisdom. Um, so just at the end here, just some closing thoughts to keep in your mind. You know, so do you want to be a wise woman? Do you, is this what you want? It's a choice. You know, no one's going to force you into the things we're talking about, but do you want that? Um, then fear God and acknowledge that he is the standard for wisdom. Humbly accept Christ's sacrifice and turn away from sin. Draw near to the Lord when you need help and answers, and then rely on the Spirit to teach you and guide you. Um, and if, if you walk that way, you will be a wise woman. If, if, and I hope that you desire that. Um, and so I just want to leave you with the, that last verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. So just whatever you know on your mind, whatever you have to face this week, and choices... I just encourage you to draw near to God. It takes time. Um, it takes longer than, you know, Googling, what do I do? <laughs> you know, um, but, but that's what we need. We need to take that time away and, and draw near to him. And, and he's faithful. He's going give to us, give us the answers. We just have to wait on him. Um, and it might not be what everyone else is telling us to do, or it might seem strange, the answers he gives us, because um, it does. You know, it's not the pattern of the world but trust in his wisdom, because he knows so much better um, than we do. So let me pray for us, and then we can go. Dear Holy Father, um, we just thank you that, that you do hold all the wisdom um, of the whole world, um, and we're sorry for the times that we think that we know better, or the times that we um, turn to other people, other places, other things to find that wisdom. Um, just Help us to draw near to you this week uh, and to seek out your wisdom in prayer, um, in your word. I pray that your spirit will just be working in us this week. Um, and just help us be wise women, Lord, that reflect your wisdom. Uh, we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.